welcome. You are listening to OPOD's Occupational Health Podcast. This is a podcast series by the Occupational Health Clinics for Ontario Workers, where we discuss the challenges of current and emerging trends in occupational health and offer effective prevention strategies to empower workers. Hi everyone, my name is Dwayne Fuchs. I'm a registered kinesiologist and ergonomist in the Thunder Bay Ocal Clinic. And I'm Melissa Statham, a Canadian Certified Professional Ergonomist out of the Windsor Clinic for OCAO. And today we're going to be talking about heat stress, more particularly how it relates to ergonomics and the development of musculoskeletal disorders. Why is it such a big deal, Melissa, that we talk about ergonomics and heat? Have you been outside lately, Dwayne? It's yeah, it's so been pretty hot. warm here as well. Yeah, <laughs> It's so hot. And really, those projected days now over 30 degrees Celsius is increasing every year. And it's supposed to continue on this same path. So it's only going to get worse. Currently in Canada, there's approximately one and a half million outdoor workers that are exposed to the sun daily on their jobs. And there's a lot of workers outside. And when you look at occupational heat stress, there's approximately 220 workers in Canada that die from it every year. That's quite a bit. It has a huge negative effect on your your physical and mental abilities and obviously on your overall health as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, the harder you work outside, the more heat you produce internally. And when you're outside in the heat, it's hard to cool the body down. It's different from working in the fall or winter where you have a cool breeze that can help you. In the summer, you don't have that. So you're perspiring and you're sweating it all out, but you're not getting that same cool breeze or way to cool the body down that you would during other seasons. So, and I guess the more humid it is outside, the less the perspiration evaporates. So when it evaporates, that's when it's cooling your body. So if it's really humid out and it doesn't evaporate, you're not getting the same cooling sensation that you'd normally get. No, and I think too, a lot of times people don't really think of the clothing they have to wear outside or they should wear, especially during those humid days. Mind you, there are occupations that what you have to wear is dictated to you, but really you want to make sure that the clothing you're wearing isn't too heavy. It's going to be breathable and it'll allow for an efficient amount of evaporation. So if we do tend to get overheated and spend lots of time in the heat, I mean, I've heard the terms heat strain and heat stress, what exactly do those mean? Well, there's a difference between the two of them. The strain is the body's physiological and behavioral responses to heat exposure, where stress is the overall heat burden on the body from the internal heat, radiant heat, and environmental factors. So really, essentially, it's how well the body is able to cool itself when it's exposed to external and internal heat stresses. So there's different occupations, like I mentioned before, that can be more at risk just because they're outside working in the heat. And often these occupations, it's not like there's a way to be in the shade or anything. And also I should distinguish, you can get heat stress from working indoors. There's a lot of indoor high temperature environments like bakeries, for example. But outdoor work, we're thinking like, you know, construction workers, iron and steel foundries, underground workers are another one, firefighters, any type of roofing is another one, melters. There's a lot of different occupations that are exposed to heat on a daily basis. 
So basically, people that work in any occupation that they're exposed to heat. So anything that has high temperatures or high humidity and involves strenuous physical activity could be at risk from heat-related disorders. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. And a lot of these factories, too, they're not air conditioning. Depending on what they're producing, they may not have a cooling facility. So they're definitely an environment where you have a lot of machines running. So it's having all of this heat build up indoors. And again, it's so humid, it's hard for workers to cool themselves off. So besides your job and what it is that you need to be doing within your job, is there any situations that make certain people more susceptible to heat-related issues? Yeah, definitely. There are key aspects that can make you more susceptible. Wearing excessive clothing and think of those fluids that you drink that could possibly dehydrate you like alcohol, caffeine, or even nicotine intake or poor nutrition can all lead to dehydration. If you're over 40 years old, if you have a smaller body size, also if you've had a previous heat-related illness, you're more susceptible to getting another one. And also, certain drugs that you may be taking can cause heat intolerance and reduce your ability to sweat or increase urination. So there's a lot of different things that can compound, not just, you know, outside of the occupation that you're doing that can make you more susceptible to heat stress. Okay. Well, that makes sense. If you are susceptible to heat stress, what are the symptoms? Like I would assume that you'd be thirsty, but what else would you potentially see if you're going to be under heat stress? Well, you can feel nauseous, get headaches, you know, that whole idea of being lightheaded or dizzy. Often people that are showing signs of heat stress too, you feel fatigued, you just feel tired. You could also, in combination with that, feel irritable. Your concentration, you know, if you're looking at something or trying to do a certain work, it's just not there anymore. And that can be combined with the fatigue. You could potentially faint and your heart rate is going to be increased as well. And you could lose consciousness as well. So I guess that brings us into discussing the different types of, of heat disorders. I mean, when you said lose consciousness, that's probably right at the at the very terrible well, end of the continuum, right? That yes. would be closer to what would be termed as heat stroke. Well, on that spectrum there, you kind of would have heat cramps. So that's when you lose electrolytes. So electrolytes are all those salts in your body and you lose them because you're sweating heavily. So when you have heat cramps, they're very painful. They're typically in your arms, legs, or stomach. And it's just the reaction. Your body's temperature isn't normal, right? Your body's temperature is heightened and you've lost all those electrolytes. Now on the other end, you have heat exhaustion, which this is caused by a loss of large fluids and electrolytes. So the, you know, the same thing here, but your symptoms between the two heat cramps and heat exhaustion, there can be similar symptoms as well, which makes it difficult to distinguish where on the spectrum you are. However, fainting, weakness, dizziness, vomiting, headaches, a lot of sweating, clammy or moist skin, blurred vision. And if your body temperature is over 38 degrees Celsius, basically 
basically all of those symptoms that I had just mentioned, they potentially be there during heat exhaustion. And what's important is that you get medical attention if you are experiencing this and you need to move to a cool area, loosen the clothing, get that person to have some water or, you know, if it's heat cramps and you've lost those electrolytes. So having some type of sports drink is good at that time too, because you need to replenish the body's electrolytes. Now on the far end of the spectrum, we have, uh, you had mentioned there, Dwayne was heat stroke. And that's when the body no longer is able to cool itself. And heat is just accumulating within the body. So you have a high temperature that's typically above 40 degrees Celsius. You have no sweating now. There is nothing more to sweat, right? You've depleted the body of its fluids. Hot, dry skin, headache, dizziness, vomiting, increased heart rate, similar symptoms, except for, you know, that body temperature is high and no longer are you sweating. And this is when you can lose consciousness and it's a medical emergency at this point in time. That's something I've heard in the past for sure. But once you actually stop perspiring, then you're in big trouble. And there really is no, there doesn't have to be a distinction amongst the types of, of heat disorders. And obviously they get worse and worse as, as you stay in the heat and as you lose fluids and as you don't replenish and don't cool off. So I think that's the biggest thing to probably remember is that you don't have to differentiate between heat exhaustion or heat stroke. If, if you're getting to the point already that you have some heat cramping and you've been perspiring and sweating profusely, you may be very shortly getting into some issues. And I mean, you need to really monitor yourself and or the workers that you're working with so that they may need medical attention. And I think you already mentioned that. So, you know, once you're getting to the point that you've noticed some of these issues, getting the individual into a cooler place, uh, into the shade, try to increase their fluids as best you can. And then obviously continue to monitor them. And this could be a bigger potential issue than a lot of people realize. The terms medical emergency, Melissa, seem to mean an awful lot. <laughs> I agree too, but I don't think a lot of people think about it. And or they think, you know, it's construction work while working outside in the sun. That's just, you know, chalk it up to one of the duties of the job and that's what you have to do. But you really, you need to really monitor yourself when you're working out in these conditions. And I mean, we're going to talk about it in just a few minutes, but there is that whole acclimatization to it. However, it's just something you really need to monitor, not only occupationally, but even yourself when you're just going out. For me, I work in an office all day. So I feel like the heat hits me really hard when I go outside. And that's just because I'm not used to it. So we talked about how the heat can negatively affect your health, but how can it affect your work performance? Well, when you think too that those symptoms I said, the tired, the fatigueness, that's going to reduce the worker's performance. When you become tired, you're not going to move the same way because you're going to try to preserve energy, right? Because your body has been trying to work hard to cool yourself off. It's not working. And you're just trying to find ways to do things and get by and it might not be using the proper techniques. And it's during this time when you are fatigued and you're undergoing some type of, you know, heat related issue there is increased accidents because of it. I can see that. Obviously, it's the same as any other situation where an individual is impaired or fatigued, right? It would increase potential accidents. Also, like you said, reduce your work performance. But in terms of ergonomics and potentially ending up with musculoskeletal disorders or, or injuries related to that, how do you see something like fatigue affecting that? When you're fatigued, you're 
forgetful. You don't remember those proper techniques. Again, you're just trying to preserve energy, right? So your lifting, carrying, pushing, pulling, even walking techniques have been depleted. So when you're not thinking about how you're doing things anymore, you're using awkward postures. And also with fatigue is also a loss of muscular strength, right? That strength, that endurance is reduced because you are fatigued. And then as far as any clothing that you could be wearing, when you perspire, it's going to cause that clothing to get wet, which then again is going to affect the way you can move, especially if you're not wearing the proper clothing. So think about, you know, moving in clothing that is restricting your movement. So that's going to cause awkward postures. And further, you're going to lose grip strength, not only because you might have sweaty palms, but you might begin to that point that you're fatigued and that muscular strength is reduced again. So it's a secondary effect of heat stress with the whole idea of developing a musculoskeletal disorder. So in terms of trying to prevent these injuries, one of the main things that an individual needs to know is, number one, be informed of the dangers of heat. You need to make sure that both yourself and your coworkers know the dangers of the heat. And even what you've just said earlier, I mean, we see people outside, you don't necessarily think about it, that it's going to be hot working outside or even something like somebody making pizzas or, or baking bread on a regular basis. We don't tend to think about those dangers. And then I guess we should also make sure that we really emphasize those personal risk factors that you mentioned before about age and blood pressure, medications and other heart disease, those types of things that physical condition that could make it worse. So that's, I would think, how you would begin to potentially prevent these injuries. And then you mentioned hydration. You mentioned that you need to be hydrated, you know, with water or sports drinks or those types of things. And be very cognizant. Like alcohol and caffeine dehydrate you. So it's always the thing. We go out there and you sit on the deck and it's nice and you say, oh, you know, I'm thirsty. I'm going to have a nice cold beer. Well, that beer might taste really good, but it's not necessarily helping in terms of potentially preventing heat-related situations for you. When it comes to hydration, you probably think maybe even when it comes in terms of water that like drink this much water that a day, it should be good. I think what you drink during the fall and winter is going to be dramatically less and you should drink more in the summer. You're just sweating more. I think people need to keep that in mind when they're working outside. Absolutely. And you know, by the time you get to the point where you're really, really thirsty, you're likely already somewhat dehydrated. And that's a very important thing to remember. You should be drinking drinking fluids that will help hydrate you on a regular basis and not wait to the point that you're really, really thirsty. So explain what type of clothing I should be wearing if I'm working outside or, or even inside working anywhere that I would be susceptible to heat stress. You want to wear light colored clothing. So no black. Uh, you want to wear something that's breathable and loose fitting. So nothing too tight, no cottons. And if you get, if your clothing gets wet from you perspiring, then change out of it because keeping it on is not going to help with the heat being dissipated from you. It's really important that you keep that in mind when you're working outside, bring extra pair of clothes. Yeah. And then maybe the next point of scheduling how you work. So you schedule breaks in there so you can change your clothes, but you should also take a look at scheduling 
what it is you're doing so that you're potentially doing them at cooler times of day, earlier in the morning, in the evening, those types of things. Yeah, I worked at a greenhouse when I was younger. And when it became certain time in the summer and the sun was up and you could see, they started our shift by 5.30 in the morning because you want to get out of there before it gets too hot. So you'll see a lot of construction workers working either throughout the night, early in the morning. Roofers do the same thing. You know, when you want to try to beat the heat. When the sun is directly above us is generally when it's hottest outside, right? So we want to try to be doing those tasks that involve being outside. We want to be doing those as much as we can when the sun isn't directly above us. So either earlier in the day or later in the day. And we can schedule potentially our work around that. Certain tasks when it's cooler that you might be susceptible to the heat. And then when you're doing other tasks that are maybe not as difficult or not as physically demanding, then you can maybe do those when it's a little bit warmer. So you can still get all of your work done or all of the things that need to be done by scheduling and and maybe planning your work day and your work tasks out a little bit better. In addition to taking frequent breaks, And when I say frequent breaks, I mean more so than your typical coffee break, lunch break, Melissa. I mean taking breaks more often to get out of the sun. Cool areas, not don't take your break out in the middle of the sun, the back, the pickup. You know, you want to get somewhere where there's some shade inside. If you're working outside, maybe go sit in your truck with the AC on. You know, you want to get somewhere to be able to cool yourself down and drink fluids that time that aren't coffee, right? You want to drink some Gatorade or water or something like that. That's a really good example that you used about going into your truck or your vehicle that's air conditioned. If you do a job where you provide a service and you go, for instance, something like, you know, we we spoke about lawn care before. If that's one of your jobs that you do and, you know, you finish cutting and maintaining an individual's lawn, now you're writing up the invoice for them. Go to your vehicle, turn it on, sit in a cooler area, get cooled off while you're doing that. You're still performing a part of your job, but you're now getting yourself out of that heat realm so that you can try to avoid that heat stress. What about working with manual tasks? Well, it's all about, and I think I've said this on a previous podcast, that you want to work smarter, not harder. But the this really it means a lot here working in the sun. You want to make sure, like, do things in partners. Don't be doing things all by yourself. If there's lifting devices like carts or dollies, anything like that, use them to move things. You want to take the load off yourself. Physically, you should be doing that anyway, really. But in the heat, you're really going to want to make sure that you're not exerting yourself as much as in cooler months. And remember what Melissa said before, that as we get fatigued, our muscular strength and endurance is less. So in a time when it's 60 degrees, 70 degrees, or I guess, you know, 20, 22, 24, and it's not so hot, you might be able to physically handle jobs a little bit more than you would once you're already in a stressed environment and have already perspired for a while and you've and you're now fatigued due to the heat so again it's that's another example of when you should be looking at performing those things if there's manual tasks that are required and they're not required the whole entire shift try to perform them at cooler times yeah, um, for sure. And and think about it too, like even when we said like taking your breaks and cooling off, that's going to make you more fresh to be able to go do the task again, because you're giving your body that chance to replenish everything it's lost over the past, you know, hour or two that you've been working outside. And then you should also be looking at trying to use heat reducing devices. 
such as umbrellas, fans. I think you mentioned fans earlier, but even creating side work areas where you might put a tent up and do certain things under that tent. If you need to prepare certain things and you know you need to build certain parts and put them together, instead of putting them together in underneath the sun or putting them together in a really hot, heated room, try to schedule and do those things away from the heat as much as possible. And the more you work outside, you will get acclimatized to working outside. So things will improve. So you'll have improvement in your cardiovascular potential, your increased circulating the blood circulation volume, your blood pressure will be more readily maintained. And that whole idea of you sweating, it's going to become more efficient. You're not going to lose as much electrolytes because your body will get used to working out in the heat. But what's important to remember too, is that the people that are most at risk for working out in the heat and getting some type of heat illness are actually new employees that haven't been exposed to the heat or used to working in this type of environment. So what would you suggest to do to try to have a newer employee or anybody climatized to the heat so that they don't get stressed as much? What would you suggest? You want to do the workload outside. You want to kind of increase that gradually over a few weeks. So you don't want to go and have that new employee work outside for the entire shift in the elements because it's going to make them more susceptible to some type of heat-related illness. So you want to say, you know, let's say you start at two hours of heat exposure per day and doing some type of light work, nothing too strenuous, and then increase that amount of time outside over one to two weeks. But it's important to keep in mind that if you had someone working outside and you got them acclimatized, you can lose that acclimatization within a week of not working outside. So that's something to think about too when people take vacations and then come back, that there should be a reintroduction into the heat somewhat slower. Kind of sounds to me like an exercise program. Yeah, it's like the gradual return to work when you think of someone who's been injured, but this is getting acclimatized to the heat. It's kind of similar to a lot of things. We don't just jump into something. You know, we don't go to the gym and just decide that you're going to run 30 miles on the treadmill if you haven't done it. So it's very similar. It's it's kind of a, an overall concept that we should be thinking about with, with everything is to gradually build ourselves up to pretty much everything we do. And in terms of working in the heat, it's also very important to try to look at that for sure. You know, I was just going to say prevention strategies. You had mentioned, Wayne, like this whole idea of training workers to recognize the signs and symptoms of heat stress and what they can do. But you also want to make sure that you provide accessible drinking water so they know it's close by them. You want to make sure that you're drinking cool water every 15 to 20 minutes, even if you don't feel thirsty. And if you could partner people up just to keep an eye on each other as somewhat of a buddy system, that way, you know, you can monitor if you're thinking that, you know, they need to get out of the sun right now. And it's important for companies to develop hot weather plans. Prevention is far easier than having to deal with an issue after the fact. So all of these things you're saying, yeah, you should explain and make sure all of the the individuals know the signs and symptoms and know the risks and really explain what the individual risks are as well. But we need to make sure we explain to people what type of first aid and what type of emergency plan we have in place in case it gets to the point where somebody has lost track of the heat and, and they've gotten themselves into trouble. And again, it's education. We want to try to keep people as educated as possible. 
And that's why it's important too, that if you had an employee that suffers from a heat related illness, that you would actually investigate that, investigate why it happened, what you could do to have prevented it, and then put some of those controls in place to protect your workers. Yes, exactly. And then when you said about the accessible water, we need to be really emphasizing that employers and the job sites should have ample water and readily available as well as some tented off areas, some areas where, you know, the individuals can go and be in the cool area. So I think that was a lot of information that we've talked about, Melissa. And again, it was one of those things we generally don't think about that. We we enter this summertime period and we're all happy that it's nice and warm, but we don't think about the individuals that have to spend a lot of time working in the heat, whether it be inside of a building such as a baker or somebody outside such as a construction worker. So hopefully everybody got some information out of this and we'll be talking to you again sometime soon. Thanks for listening in, everyone. For more information about this podcast, including show notes and companion materials, go to our website, www.ohcow.on.ca. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast channel to ensure you receive notification of our latest episode. As well, check us out on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for joining us.